Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, I love the gentleman we're about to have on. His book is truly, truly amazing. Guys, you know I love my veterans with all my heart. Um, But first, I want to thank our sponsors. If you guys love hoodies, if you guys love T-shirts, I'm a big hoodie guy. I love swag. Uh, My brother, um, as you guys know, the people that sponsor the show are veterans 100% of the time. And I love my veterans. And he has a company called Victory Warrior. Where he makes great swag. So check him out. If you're a business owner, check out victorywarrior.com. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, this book I'm reading is truly, truly amazing. It's called The Transition Mission from my new friend. And I think we're going to get along great. Herb, my brother, how are you today? Hey, man. Happy to join you. It's good to be here, Richard. Uh, look forward to this discussion. Yeah, you know, um, as people know, I'm, I'm, I'm a retired uh, Army guy. Um, I didn't do anything great in the military, but I just did my time. Uh, but I had a bad, 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 bad time transitioning out the second time. And I think a lot, I, I don't think I'm alone in that. And I would definitely love to talk about that. And I want to get to know you because you are a very interesting kind of guy. Um, you're a little bit left to center. And I love that because I'm way left of center. So I think we're going to get along great. How's your day going? No, it, it's going good. Uh, just, in, you know, enjoying the freedoms we have and uh, seeing plotting what's up next for me. You got a lot. You have a lot of stuff going on, brother. And I've, been <laughs> following, you know, I've been following you now for a couple months and you always have something going on. You don't let any grass grow underneath your feet, do you? No, I think. Uh, I mean, I think you get very philosophical, but you know, I'm not a guy who just sits around. Right. And, um, and that's okay. Some people do, but that's just, that's not me. I have to be doing something, uh, to keep, keep me busy. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from, because we're going to hop in the back machine. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and what kind of kid were you? <laughs> I was a bad kid. Uh, oh, no, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up in upstate New York, a uh, little two-stoplight town, and then um, from a pretty poor family. Yep. What town in New York? Uh, Wayland, New York. I know exactly where it is. I'm from I'm from Jersey, so we're not it's not too far from here. Okay, yeah. So I grew up there, and uh, you know, there's not much industry there. Parents were factory workers. Dad lost his job. Had to go on welfare. You know, we moved around, and then for a few years of middle school, and just kind of was like, hey. Uh, always got in trouble. It's funny now. I'm an award-winning best-selling author. I failed ninth grade English and had to go to summer school. Uh, but it wasn't because I didn't know English. It was just because I didn't try. I didn't care. And then day one, I realized, wow, that was a big mistake. I got to suck this up for the next seven weeks while I sit here in summer school. But um, from there, I always knew when I was a little kid, I was going to join the Army. So that was and be a soldier, and that's what I wanted to be. Now, were you an uh, athlete at all also? I, I was a, a baseball, football, wrestling, uh, even tapped around some golf clubs a couple times because I was bored. Uh, but yeah, I love playing sports, love being active, love being outdoors, always doing something. Now, one thing that I found that's real, truly amazing. Now, I've had now I'm up to almost 300 episodes. 
And a lot of the operators that I've talked to have a background in wrestling. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, a lot of wrestling tournaments take place around Thanksgiving, Christmas. So while everybody else is eating, eating good, you have the shrink wrap around you and you're trying to cut weight and you're eating ice cubes to try to cut weight. So I think it takes a lot of discipline to be a wrestler. What are your thoughts on that? No, it's huge. Uh, and uh, it, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I, if somebody is a wrestler, they're different. I'll just say that they know how to deal with hardship. And like you said, you're always second weight. And let's be real. There's no, Hey, you dropped the ball. You're the, no, there's only you and another person out there on the mat going at each other. So if you fail and everybody does, you get your puppy, especially once you first start, there's no one, no one ex to excuse, you know, Oh, it's somebody else's fault. No, it's your fault. You, you got your butt kicked. And I think it builds a lot of character. And quite frankly, it is difficult. It is, hey, let's just go practice for two hours, beating the heck out of each other, right? That is what it is. And um, I think it builds character and teaches people grit and how to overcome adversity. You know, and I love that one thing is, is if you get pinned, it's your fault. You can't pin, you know, you can't blame anybody else if you get thrown around. If you get pinned, you can't say, well, it's my coach's fault. It, it's nobody else's fault but yours. So now what kind of kid were you in high school? Were you, uh, were you, did you have problems reading or were you just not um, have, like me, I, I have a book that's on Amazon. It's crushing it. And I failed out of school totally in ninth grade. <laughs> so I understand what you're talking about to being a, an, an award-winning author. So talk to us about um, what you were like in high school leading up to the day you went to the recruiter. Yeah. So, I mean, quite frankly, the easiest way to say it was bored. Right. And that's with how high school work. I was just bored. Right. It didn't interest me. Uh, if something interests me, I dove, I dove into it. Right. I dove into it. A lot of that was history class type stuff, maybe some sciences, but I would dive into it, but I was bored. And that's so, but I did, I got good grades after that, after 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Uh, obviously it was, I want to say obviously, but if anybody see me, I guess people say I'm charismatic, but I was outgoing and very outgoing and like to talk with people and just kind of uh, experience different things and different people and want to just hang out with certain people. I was like, I'll talk with anyone. Now. So I love, you know, talking to people about their recruiting story because everybody has a different recruiting story. So talk to us about your recruiting. I mean, full disclosure, the army got their money's worth on me because I recruited them. I went when I, I was still 16 and said, Hey, I want to join the army. And the guy was like, what are you trying to run away from? Drugs, whatever. I was like, no, I literally just want to join the Army. This is what I want. I'll come back when you're 17. Because I was going to graduate high school while I was 17. So I came back the week before my 17th birthday. Called him up. Uh, same thing. What are you trying to run from? I'm like, no, I'm not trying to run from anything. He's like, well, I don't. I was like, hey, listen. You either talk with me or I'm going to go to the Marine Corps recruiter next. Your choice. And he ended up talking with me. And then you know, I had to have my parents uh, sign for me, which they did not want to sign for me. And I was like, hey. I'm going to do this six months later anyways, when I'm 18. So we might as well get the process started, but yeah. So I think I stole the pen when I signed, but I didn't get any of the swag that I think people get. I've seen since even a t-shirt, I just stole the pen maybe. And I don't even know if I was supposed to do that. So when you took your ASVAB, what were your choices and what did you pick and why? Yeah. So ASVAB score gave me a choice of anything I wanted to do. I said, let me be, um, Airborne Ranger, Airborne Infantry, and uh, Armor Crewman. That was the, my three top choices. 
Uh, and then they're like, hey, you're colorblind. I was like, yes, I know. And they said, well, you could be a chaplain's assistant or these three administrative jobs. And I said, well, I don't want to be a chaplain's assistant. I'll do which which of these administrative jobs looks best on the resume. And it just, I guess, I think it's the one they needed that day. So uh, I, that's how I actually joined the Army was in human resources uh, doing paperwork. So, okay, now you, now you really, really, really piqued my interest. <laughs> how did you go from being in the rear with the gear to joining, uh, you know, would you go 11 Bravo? No. So I, 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 I joined doing, doing that. And I just switched over to go to special forces selection to become 18 series. So uh, it, now that would, there's a 10 year gap there, right? My first 10 years of my career, I was uh, on the admin side. And then I went and did the drill sergeant route uh, when I was drill sergeant. And then for me, it was, Hey, it's now or never. If I want to do this thing, this is, I, I had two goals be a green beret, be a drill sergeant. And I had done one and said, Hey, what am I going to do? And it was what it could have, you know, should have, am I going to think when I'm 60 years old, if I'm still alive, hopefully in a rocking chair, drinking a cold one on the porch going, I should have done that. And I was like, no, I'm going to go do it. And if they tell me no, then that's on them, but I'm going to go to special force qualification. I did again, a hiccup there was, Hey, we don't do colorblind. So you had to find a way around the colorblind test. So, I found the alternate test and we agreed that I passed the alternate test and the, the rest I was on my way. So, you know, now I've talked to, and, and by the way, I just want to say thank you for hopping on today. I really appreciate you. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of special operators, you know, a lot of SEALs and Rangers and Delta Force. And like I told them before I started doing this, I thought that every operator I was going to talk to was like six, five, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, and ripped with like 3% body fat. And a lot of the operators that I've met, I'm like, wait a minute, you look more like my accountant. Because <laughs> it, it, it wasn't what I thought it was. But all you guys that I've talked to have that special um, I'm not going to quit mentality. Either I'm going to pass out or you're not going to make me quit. So what was it like going through selection and why what made you not quit because i'm sure you've seen other people quitting what made you not quit are you there brother yeah if you if your phone locks then i can't hear you it goes into sleep mode are you there brother I think your phone locked, bro. Experience going through the selection process. Yeah, so that uh, my mindset was um, I'm going to make it or they're going to put me in a body bag. There was no in between. And I think a couple of things that stick out to me is you see a bunch of people who quit or go away, right? You start with a whole bunch and every day people are leaving. And I just, I didn't focus on that. And I remember there was a guy who came to me, he's like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I just walked away from him because that wasn't even in my mind. And when I was out there, it was, hey, I wasn't saying I'm not going to quit. I was keep going, 
keep going because I didn't want the word quit in my mind. And when you're out there middle of the night carrying a rucksack, walk through the woods, not, you know, trying to figure out where you're going and not knowing how you're doing because they don't tell you whether you're doing good or bad. It was just keep going. Make them decide. Don't self-select. And I just kept doing that at the end. I was still there and got selected. So what was it like when you finally got your got to wear that um, that that beret? What was that like that, at that moment when you finally got to wear that? Yeah. So for me, it was the actual moment when I put the beret on for the first time or, you know, when, hey, we had a ceremony and put it on. It was the moment I earned it, which was, you know, throughout the whole over a year long course. And then the instructor in the last phase said, you passed, you did a hell of a job. That was the moment for me. Cause I'd earned it. It didn't matter if I could work. Cause anybody could go buy a beret, at, you know, for 20 bucks, but at that moment I'd earned it. And that was special. You know, and I love that because I remember there were, when I was in the, in the armor unit, cause I was an armor guy. Um, there was like new kids getting out of basic and they're wearing tanker boots and we're like, bro, you need to take them off. You haven't earned them yet. You know, you haven't done through, you haven't, you haven't qualified yet. You take those boots off. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. So now um, there's a difference between, you know, because sometimes we get to a certain level and then we can just stay status quo. But you you became a leader. So talk to us about the mindset of difference between, you know, being in a, a, a squad or a company to being a squad leader or a company leader talk to us about that mindset when you know you know that anything that happens to your guys it's on your watch yeah i mean obviously tremendous responsibility and to a lot of to people who a lot is given a lot is expected so that's why i've always thought about it and to me it was never about oh i want to be in charge of other i want like that was a goal to be a team sergeant which i was but it was always about what are like focus on what, what is my responsibilities? What is my job? Nothing else matters, you know, take out all the noise. What is, what is the responsibilities that are asked me, whether they are explicit or implicit and then do them. And that to me is, I think, obviously you learn and you come up through the ranks. And at some point you go from, you know, figuratively, you go from carrying a sword to where you're out there, like doing things to where you're, you have a shield to protect your guys. And I really kind of feel like you make that transition to where not that you can't carry a sword and go do those things, but really it's to protect your people and enable them to grow as leaders. Cause that's what a leader is. They grow other leaders. You know, it isn't just people following them. They should, the purpose is should be to grow other leaders. You know, and I think like for me, like when I became an, I, I, I tried everything I could to actually live that creed, the NCO creed, you know, I was, yeah. And I was the leader that, you know, I cared about my guys, you know, they know that I cared about them and, you know, they would literally willing, be willing to run through brick walls. And then, but there's other people that were the same rank as me. They respected the rank, but they didn't respect the man. So talk to us about what a true leader really is. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. The first thing care. People want to know you care about them. And that doesn't mean you hug them and hold their hand and tell them, you know, you aren't hard on them. Cause to me, caring for someone is being hard on them and holding them to the standard and getting them to their potential. Uh, so first to me is caring. You have to care and you can't just say you care. You have to show it through your actions and demonstrate it over time, right? Trust is earned and it comes over time. So, but it has to start with caring. You can't just 
hey, you know, I think a lot of people, and the next thing I would say, be yourself. I think too many people try to be someone else when they're in a leadership position. No, just be yourself. I don't care what position you're in. That leadership component will come from that if you're doing the right things instead of being fake. Because I think we've all been around people who are fake. And I don't know anyone who's like, oh, I love that person because they're fake. Yeah, you know, because like sometimes, you know, some of the greatest leaders that I know, um, you know, even on people that I'm involved with on social media, you know, they're not always on, you know what I mean? They're not always, you know, in their best suits. They're not always looking their best. You know, sometimes they'll say, you know what? I'm having a tough day. And that's, I think people can relate to you. But when you think you're, you know, like that one squared away soldier all the time and you don't have any issues, there's something going on because you <laughs> definitely have issues if you don't have issues you know i mean that was that was myself as a young e5 and maybe even to being a young e6 i thought i had to do everything i thought i had to yell because if i wasn't yelling it didn't sound cool and it didn't sound like i knew what i was talking about i couldn't show any vulnerability i couldn't do any of that and quite frankly i want to go back and find you know the younger me and punch myself in the face because it was a a great way to learn to how to be a bad leader now you know unfortunately people had to learn you know deal with that but I learned from and realized, wow, that was a bad leader. And you don't have to try to be something you're not. Just be yourself, show people you care, earn their trust, do the right thing, and earn respect. It's not about friendship. It's about respect and trust. You know, and I was talking to – I was went, went to my, my daughter's. She's nine years old, and she had a softball game. And we were, I was talking to an old-timer, you know, and he, he was in uh, Vietnam. And we were talking just t- same thing. We were talking about how, you know, building relationships and how like when I was in the military, you know, I always took care of my supply sergeant, you know, because I know he's going to take care of me down the road. But it was all about building relationships for me. And I still have some of those relationships today. So I think relationships are very important in especially being a true leader. Now, how many years did you do in the military? Can you hear me, brother? I don't know what's going on with this today. Can you hear me, brother? So now, how many years did you do total in the military? I, I did 20 years, 20 and a half. So what was your thought process when you decided to get out? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was two things. There was a physical component of my body was breaking down. And over time, I'd injured my back in a you know, parachute jump accident incident. And it was getting worse. Right. And I was able to suffer through it, but I also, I was degrading my abilities and the, and then it came to, do I really want to keep putting up with this pain of physical pain of every day just to get up, work out, do all that. Or is it time to go on? And there was a gradual shift there, but then it became, yep, it, it's time to focus on what's next. And I made that mental leap of, okay, it's time to, it's time to get out and uh, move on to the next chapter. Cause I joined when I was 17, so I can retire when I was 37. So there's still a whole lot of life left. Why, why not get after it? So then what was your next step? What was your transitioning like? Yeah, fortunately for me, um, you know, about two years out before I retired, I, I sat down with a 
you know, older Green Beret from Vietnam era who had sat me down. We talked for two nights in a row for about six hours total. And I had no clue what I was going to do after this. I had, I had no clue. There was nothing to go back to where I grew up from. I knew I wasn't going back there. There was no family business to go back to. And I had no clue. So once I've talking to him and he got me thinking about it, then it was, the, the, I know how to do missions. I know how to plan for missions and how to plan unconventional warfare and deployments and all that. This is a deployment in the United States. Just it's me. I'm going to have to learn a new language, which is the language of, you know, the civilian world and business and all that. And I'm going to go do that. And that's, that's how I started attacking it. So what kind of jobs did you take? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think even before that, I just talked with a lot of people. I ended up over doing over 2000 informational interviews because I didn't know, you know, I realized I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew I didn't know a lot. And I, so I just had to start talking to people to see actually what I didn't want to do. And I came into management consulting, you know, after all that time, you know, it sounds all easy, but there's a lot of failures. There's a lot of, Hey, didn't get interviews, didn't hear back, didn't get the job once he interviewed. Uh, but my two goals were I'm going to get into management consulting and I'm going to get a high level MBA to add to my certification, add to my credentials um, so that that's what people understand. Right. So it's kind of like earning a Ranger tab or a special force tab or go get your CI, EIB or something, whatever it is, Sapper tab in the army or whatever you know service you're in. It's go get some credentials that people understand and they don't even have to try to translate it. So uh, that's what I did. I went and got my uh, MBA at Cornell and uh, got in with Accenture doing um, management consulting. So what were some of the things that you learned in the military that helped you? Because we all know how to follow an SOP. So what was some of the stuff that helped you in the military in your civilian world? Yeah, I mean, I would say just about everything. And I, I know that sounds like flippant, but it's, that's all I knew, right? I joined at 17. So really my whole adult life was in the military. So everything I've known, you know, that I've done over the last couple of years since retiring, it came from my military experience. It was that foundation that was built there. Now some of that was, you know, when I was even younger, but it was built through that. So just the lessons learned of dealing with people, right. And negotiating talking and dealing with conflict. And I don't mean like shooting conflict, but like, Hey, uh, issues at work where you disagree with people and how to do projects and how to be on time and how to, how to build relationships and keep those relationships. Uh, yeah. Now there's a profit and loss, as, you know, tied to that, but it, that's it, a lot of it is very, there is much more similarities than there is differences. I'll put it that way. Now talk to us about uh, building a team. Cause a lot of people don't, don't realize that even in the civil, in the corporate world, you need to have a strong team. So talk to us about your team concept when you're talking to a, a company. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a first thing would be, it doesn't happen by accident. Now, once in a blue moon, somebody will get lucky and they stumble upon a team that's around them and all of a sudden they're leading. It doesn't happen, right? You have to go out and seek it and then knowing what you're looking for. And I'll, I'll say one of the first things where I was originally thinking is I want all people like me and I don't mean how I look, but I was like, Oh, I just want to work with other green berets. That's what I want to do. And then I realized, wow, that we're lacking diversity of thought. If I did that, not that we can't think outside the box and big thinkers, because that is really what we are, but we still have a kind of a certain focus. So to me, it was, it's building that diversity of thought and people from different backgrounds to come in and work a problem. Because if you, you know, I don't care what you're doing. If you have everybody who's had the same pedigree, the same upbringing, you're going to get mostly the same answers and the same thought process in there versus let's get people a diversity of thought and build them up and then earn trust, right? Earn trust, select people 
and then empower them. So select the right people and then empower them to do the right thing and, uh, you know, break down any impediments in their way. Now, when people bring you in, it's because almost a lot of the time because the shit has hit the fan already. But have you ever experienced, you know, because I, if somebody says, um, well, this is the way we've always done it. I know that's a death knell. So have you ever come upon that? Oh, yeah. You do? <laughs> All the time people do that. Or they don't even know why they're doing it. They're just like, I think we've always done this, but I don't even know if we've always done it this way. It's just what I'm doing. Yeah, I do. So I, I, I think it depends on the circumstances, but like pull back and go, well, why? Why are you doing it that way? Is anybody asked? And I think a lot of times in consulting, uh, what it is, is you're brought in to say stuff that some people are thinking, right? You'll ha- you have an outside perspective. So you're going to bring in fresh set of eyes, fresh diversity of thought to the problem. But at the end of the day, some of the stuff is what people there are likely thinking. Just they can't get away with saying it. Cause it's, there's not a psychological safe zone for them to go, Hey boss, you're an idiot. This is wrong. And say it tactfully, but do it where a consultant can come in. Now they don't say it like that, but they're essentially saying, Hey boss, you need to change. And the boss is like, Oh yeah, this is a great idea. Let's go for it. Or they don't, but Hey, they're hearing it from an outside source. So I think allowing that psychological safety though is important on a team anywhere. And that's a lot of time why consultants are brought in. And, you know, a a lot of people like um, in today's world, 50 and up, they're not very tech savvy. And unfortunately, if you're, if you're not getting tech savvy, you're going to get left behind. So talk to us about having to change that mindset. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's really difficult, right? Cause you said it with the older generation, they aren't tech savvy. It's not it's just cause they didn't have the tech, right? My dad, for instance, has never touched a computer. He wouldn't know how to turn it on, let alone use it. And he's in his late sixties. So I, there is that gap there, but I think there is the ability, even me, I'm not saying I'm the most tech savvy person ever, but I'm willing to learn and see enough. I don't need to know everything of how the code works, but I can understand that, Hey, this has to happen behind the scenes to bring the whole thing together. So just, I, I, I believe you're always learning and you're always adapting. And if you're like, I know everything, no, nope, this is how we're going to do it for the re- next 40 years. You're wrong. You're going to, and I mean, there's tons of businesses across, look at the fortune 100 companies from 60 years ago to today. A lot of them companies 60 years ago aren't around anymore. It's because they didn't evolve and adapt and leadership at the time was like, nope, this is what we do good. We're going to keep doing it. And all right, you know, over time, see you later, they're gone. So now uh, I know that you, you know, you're, you're kind of a humble guy, but I think it's amazing that you won Green Bay, Green Beret of the year and drill sergeant of the year. And you hardly ever even talk about that. So I'm going to ask you to talk about that. Talk about those two honors. Yeah, yeah. Just just small correction. There is no Green Beret of the year. People always say this to me. There's Green Beret, right? So you go through a special forces qualification course, you earn your Green Beret, and you go out and you, you do that stuff. And then there's Drill Sergeant of the Year, which uh, I, I think why it's so different and why nobody else has ever done They're kind of two different worlds. The Drill Sergeant is by the book, follow every regulation. Now, they're they're both trainers. And a drill sergeant is a trainer of America's sons and daughters inculcating them into the army or, you know, in whatever service, what they call their initial entry trainers. But they're by the book, everything. Hey, you, you follow that. Where the Green Bray is the trainer, premier trainer for foreign forces. So they train foreign forces. And it's, you know, I'd say we're definitely not known for following the book. We know the book and that's how we can color outside the lines with the book. So I think 
you know, that is why it's so different. But it, it, to me, it was adapted. I went to special forces selection from being the drill sergeant of the year in the army, where all I dealt with was I flew around the country, assessed training, did different public relations events, and went to uh, do that stuff. And then go to green, you know, special force selection where you're just out in the woods carrying a ruck. So it's a different lifestyle, but it's about adapting. And there's just two different worlds that most people don't bridge the divide. You know, and like for me, I think what saved my bacon is, you know, when I was in the rear with the gear, I was the worst soldier. I was like, you know, but put me in the field, let me get dirty, you know, and I was like a superstar. So, you know, and there was always the, book way to do things and then there's the field way to do things you know so now talk to us about what made you write your award-winning book was it something you always wanted to do or was it you felt there was a need (laughs) yeah i never dreamed of writing a book um it actually just happened i was coming back from the spine surgeon and was talking to a veteran uh she had just got out and she knows who she is she had um reached out veterans were reaching out to me for assistance let's talk through the transition and she was like hey i'm effing lost what am i gonna do and i was like wow so we had to talk the whole my whole way home for about an hour and 15 minutes i literally got home and said i need to do something i can't i'm having these phone calls and it was almost every day or multiple times a day i'd have phone calls just because i wanted to do that and i was like i need to do something more how can i spread the message and help more people and i said just at that moment when by the time i got home hung up the phone with her uh because she was on her terminal leave i said i'm gonna write a book and i sat down that was about friday at uh you know 6 p.m 6 30 p.m and i didn't get up other than to eat maybe sleep for a few hours and to use the bathroom and by 10 o'clock sunday night i had over two-thirds of the book done uh so not the not the recommended way to write a book but that's how it happened so what did you, because I, when I wrote my book, it was very cathartic. I learned a lot about myself. So talk to us about your writing process. Man, that, that's the word I tell everybody right there, cathartic. I think it was good to get stuff out. Uh, and it was good to just share, share what I had learned. And so many people had helped me. I mean, I, I talked with over 2,000 people doing informational interviews. I had read all kinds of different articles. I mean, you're talking the hundreds upon hundreds of articles of blogs about transition from the military and stuff. So to me, it was, here's how I can give back. People people took time to help me. I'm going to do that. And uh, that was my writing style. I wouldn't even say there was a writing style. It just happened. It was like, what is in my head is going down on the paper. And we'll figure out how to organize it later. But this is what's going to happen. And, and that, that's how I approached it. So why do you think, you know, because I'm, I'm a very big veterans advocate, um, especially with vital ideations. Why do you think we have such trouble with transitioning and dealing with whatever happened over there? Yeah, I mean, oh man, you talk about um, you know a loaded topic we could go on for hours and write doctoral theses about. But I, I think a few things. So two things. Why why is the transition difficult? Uh, I think hey, look at all the time and effort both on the military's part and the service members part at the, when they join the military, uh, tons of funds, tons of training and hours put into training a person to become a service member, but they're also putting in that hard work and effort. Now you flip it to the backside. You don't see that getting out, but I mean, what, what other company in the world pays to have their people leave and trains them up to leave. So, 
I'm not saying that it should be that way. I'm just saying that's what it is. And I think, but the one thing that can happen is service members underestimate until, until they realize, Hey, this is very hard work transition. You really have to put a hard work in, unless you get extremely lucky, you really have to put a hard work in And Truthfully, when do you ever stop transition? So there's always work on it. I think that's one thing. I think as far as stuff we've seen and dealt with overseas, I think there's a couple of things like it is hard. We've, we've been put through stuff and seen stuff that people are not supposed to do. That's period, whether it's physical or like mental and what we've seen and experienced. The, we weren't designed for that, but we persevered and made it through it. So I think when you come back and it's like, okay, there has to be that integration, reintegration, and quite frankly, learning how to cope with that. And, you know, we could go on for days about that, but I think I always come back to three things and I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a medically educated person, but I always think if people have a purpose, they have an identity and they have a tribe or a team around them, they're going to be okay. They're, they're not going to be thinking bad thoughts and they're not going to be down themselves because those three things will feed them to get to the next level. I think, the issue is helping people find those three things. And, you know, a lot of people struggle finding jobs. <clears throat> and I've talked to a couple friends of mine, they, they, they're resume writers and, or they're hiring CEOs. And when they get a, a veteran's uh, resume, it's just a whole bunch of stuff that they can't even understand. And they just throw it into a pile, you know, cause there's so many acronyms yep. and stuff like that. So talk to us about that. What something somebody people can do to, to help with their resumes and actually get a job. Yeah, I, I think the resumes component, networking is another component. But on the resume, they should not have to think, how does this fit here? You have to put in the words they understand. So I always give an example for myself. I worked with indigenous forces, coalition forces, conventional forces, you, you know, militias, whatever. If I said that of, hey, I improved these people by this percentage, or I did, people won't understand. But they were my clients or my customers, right? They were. They were my clients and customers. That is what people understand. If you go into any boardroom or business and interview room and go, hey, I did this for my clients or customers, that translates. They don't have to go, How how's Herb or how's Richard or Sally, whoever going to fit in here? They go, oh, he improved customers by this percentage. Okay, that's what we do. We improve customers' performance. Okay, good. That language of what they do, and numbers don't lie, right? People won't understand anything different between industry, but people understand this contract was $1 to $3 million, improved by 27%, saved thousands of work hours. People understand numbers, and those translate across industry. Now, they may mean different, but they, they're understandable. So I, you just got to put in language to understand now talk to us about building relationships because for me, I'm a relationship guy. You know, like now that we've talked, um, this is today is where the relationship just starts and hopefully we're going to build a relationship that's generational, but talk to us about building relationships because I see a lot of people on LinkedIn doing it the total wrong way. So talk to us about building relationships in the corporate world. And in the uh, civilian, you know, in, in our regular lives. Yeah, I, I think, I don't think I know, and this is what I believe, relationship building isn't what you can do for me. Yeah. It's about building a relationship. And I think, you know, not to tell you how to do something by telling how someone's wrong, but 
if you go in and ask him for something, that's not a relationship building. That's a transactional action. Hey, you do this for me. I do this for you. That's not a relationship. Building relationships is really, I expect nothing out of this call other than to get to talk to you and get to know you're out of this meeting, whatever. But if you do that over time, you start earning trust. At the end of the day, people do business with who they trust or they prefer to do business with who they trust. Sometimes they have to, they're forced to do business with people they don't know. But at the end of the day, that humans are humans. You're not interacting with a computer to make a transaction to buy a car. I mean, technically, I guess you can buy it online now, so you are, but it's it's all about trans, you know, transactional versus relationship and build the relationship and especially do it before you need something. The time to build relationships is not when, hey, you know, I need a job right now. Will you uh, help me out? Well, where, where were you four months ago, man? When, when you want to talk with me, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard ask to ask somebody to get you a job or to review your resume, give you a recommendation. It's all about relationships and earning that trust. And I love that. Um, so now talk to us, how do we find you? How do we find, how can we purchase your book? which like I said, I love it. And I, I can't wait. I, I, when I get a book, I usually read it three to four times because I just love soaking up knowledge. I love highlighting and doing, you know, so tell, how do we find your book? Cause I definitely think it's transformational, especially for people that are transitioning now. Yeah, man, you can find it on Amazon, the transition mission uh, with Herb Thompson or www.herb-thompson.com. It's my website. You can find the Amazon link through there. And I mean, I don't earn any money from this. I'm just doing it because I truly believe our country will be better off the more service members who get into communities and companies around our country and succeed. And probably, you know, over the last year or more, I've, I've just believed that even more and we're needed. So we, we need to see our brothers and sisters succeed out there uh, across the country. So what else do you have going on that we can support you in? I, that's it right there. Stop by the website. You'll see things going on. Obviously, LinkedIn, Herb Thompson, uh, hyphen SF to biz, the number two there um, moving. Uh, I don't know where the future is going, but I know one thing. My plan is to make an impact and uh, I have some things in the works, but we'll see how it goes. I love it. And you're making an impact in my life. So I'm, I'm truly grateful and honored. Now, last question I ask everybody, um, you know, we live in a crazy world. You know, we still live in a COVID world. And, um, you know, grandparents are homeschooling kids um, and we got parents driving Uber just to pay, just to put food in their kids mouth. So I, if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if there's somebody that's struggling out there, um, whether transitioning out of the military or they're a business, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours? to start to right the ship. Do something kind for somebody else. And I know that seems counterproductive, but I'm telling you, I believe the more you do good for others, good stuff starts happening because you surround yourself with good people. You're doing good things. So just and it, it does, hold the door. I don't even saying, hey, buy, buy somebody a meal. Hold the door open for somebody. Smile and wave. You know, we've got to wave with our mask on. You can't even smile at anybody, you know, over the last year. Or so just, just be kind to someone. Do, do something kind for them. And the more you do that, I truly believe the more you will see it return to you. Uh, and, I, and I love that, brother. So make sure you go to HerbThompson.com. Definitely check them out. Check out the new book because I'm, I'm loving the book. Uh, I want to thank Paul Hudson of Victory Warrior 
for sponsoring the show. Thank you, brother. I love your swag. Um, Herb, thank you so much for hanging out today, even with all the glitches and all that. I just want to say thank you, and I'm truly hum- humbled and honored to call you friend. No, I appreciate it, Richard. I'm happy you had me on. Thankful for your sponsors, and uh, this won't be the last time we talk. All right, brother. Well, God bless, and have an amazing weekend. All right, man. Stay safe. All right, bye. bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So, if you guys want to, Our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives.